The Dry Cleaner Cast presents Need to Know. Need to Know is a podcast featuring conversations with security experts focused on the terrorism and intelligence stories dominating the headlines. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr. This is Need to Know. On today's podcast, we're joined by author and investigative journalist David Nywert. And on this episode, we're going to discuss the latest news and developments with the far right. Just before we begin, a quick reminder, our film The Dry Cleaner is now available on Amazon and iTunes. If you go to www.drycleanercast.co.uk forward slash watch the film, you can get a link to your preferred application there. Also, if you really enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on your preferred podcast app. Those reviews do make a huge difference. It helps new people discover the show. This is the first podcast of 2020. I decided to start with a need-to-know episode because there's been a lot of developments on the far right. And uh, as other things crop up, I'll probably be making more need-to-know episodes. I've had all sorts of things going on in the world at the moment. Uh, a little bit difficult to keep track of, so I'm doing my best to figure out what we can do to address some of those things going on in the world. There'll be another podcast on the last Friday of February, and that will be our next scheduled show. There may be other podcasts in between, depending on uh, what's going on in the world and who I can find to chat about it. So without further ado, we will get going. I hope you enjoy our first podcast of 2020 and our first podcast of the 20s. Hope everybody's having a great new year, and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner. David, welcome back to the podcast. Just for the benefit of new listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I uh, have been writing about the radical right since really since the, the late 70s. And uh, when I was a, a Average, you know, daily news reporter. Uh, we had a major uh, infestation of neo Nazis in the Northwest during the 80s and 90s that uh, I wound up doing a lot of writing about. And so in the 90s, I started uh, writing, was one of the first journalists to start writing about the militia movement. And so after Oklahoma City happened, I became a militia expert. That's <laughs> <laughs> air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and I really the 90s is when I really made this a dedicated beat. And I've been uh, reporting on it as a dedicated beat since the since about 1995. So, um, uh, and didn't have a whole lot of business in the early part of the uh, 21st century, except that uh, mostly I was seeing a lot of uh, filtering of radical right ideas out into the mainstream, and particularly the spread of conspiracy theories and growth in the whole conspiracy theory industry, um, enabled mainly by, you know, the uh, post 9 11 uh, issues. I also I actually started out as an environmental reporter, so I've always uh, tried to keep my hand in doing that. And one of the one of the things that uh, that happens is happened is that, so I uh, you know as uh, time went on uh, and I was writing these books about hate groups and hate crimes and uh, all of those kinds of things. I, uh, none of those books ever sold very well. I mean, honestly, I got accused for be, uh, of being an alarmist for a book I wrote in 2009, warning that the uh, mainstream conservative movement was becoming increasingly radicalized. That's now pretty widely considered pretty, prescient yeah you're very much ahead of the game on that one <laughs> yeah uh but but at the time it sold horribly i got uh, uh widely criticized for it and uh, so i actually in 2015 i published a book about killer whales because i do that uh, i do go spend time with them uh as a way of keeping my sanity uh and uh 
it wound up being far and away my best-selling book ever. <laughs> it's a bit like that with musicians, isn't it? It's always the it's always the unexpected song as the hit. <laughs> <laughs> but but except now it's been passed by uh, writing about. Uh, my book called America has definitely surpassed all my previous books. And that was a, a book that I started writing before Trump got elected because those of us who, who were observing the scene could easily see that his candidacy was doing a tremendous amount uh, to revivify the radical right and to, to really bring it, uh, actually to bring it into the mainstream as well. And uh, so I was uh, started writing the book really with the intention, the, the thought that, well, he's probably going to lose, but even if he loses, we're going to be dealing with this for a very long time. And then he won, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> he did. <laughs> and then, like, I was drinking a bottle of scotch that night. Yeah. It was probably about... Two thirds of the way through the book at that point, and uh, I was planning to use the scotch to, you know, celebrate uh, Clinton's victory, and I would just wound up drinking it all that night and not being even the slightest bit drunk because I was so upset and I had a hell of a hangover the next day, though. <laughs> I bet, I bet. I remember watching the election. Till about three, four in the morning here, because um, obviously we yeah. get it quite a lot later than you, and it was just depressing, yes. <laughs> a very depressing night. Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah, oh, it, was. it was. It was. Well, for me, it was horrifying yeah. because I knew that his election was going to just take the lid off the Pandora's box, and mm. indeed it has. Mm. So, well, it was interesting, like how. Um, you know, sort of Trump aligned himself with sort of conspiracy theorists like Alex jo- Alex Jones and people like that, and uh, and like Alex Jones has sort of ridden off Trump to some extent until recently, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, well, Alex was out in Richmond yesterday. Oh, was he? And, oh, no, my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I didn't make it there, but yeah, no, he was. He and his gang were touring the. Uh, Tooling around Richmond in their Infowars uh, Humvee, <laughs> oh, a big black word. thing, oh, my tooling word. around the streets of it, and he was standing up uh, through the sunroof and mm. uh, using his loudspeaker to talk to the crowd as they toured through the streets of the city. It was something else, but yeah. that's you know that's Alex. Well, I'm amazed he's still. I mean, we say I'm amazed he has any credibility because there's been quite a few um, exposés recently, and also this big lawsuit, hasn't there, where he's been sued by the parents of Sand- the Sandy Hook victims? Is that right? Yeah. So I'm just I'm just surprised the game isn't up really with Alex Jones, but people still believe him, don't they? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, you would think that. You know, uh, well, th- since that uh, <laughs> child co- sex colony on Mars didn't uh, really turn out to be a thing, and the, uh, <laughs> the the gay frogs didn't turn out to be a thing, you'd oh, think no. that, that people would have kind of figured out he's a scam artist by now. Mm. You know, I mean, Lord knows who, who how many people have bought those worthless tinctures that yeah. he sells. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! But you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, grifter's got to keep grifting, man. That's yeah. what he does. Yeah, no, we probably needs to grift harder now because he probably needs the money more than ever. But anyway, so um, that's right. Virginia State. So you were? Did you did you visit Virginia State? Or you were going to visit Virginia State? No. No, I, I, I wanted to go, but mm. uh, we weren't able to make it work, uh, and I also suffered uh, an injury oh, no. that would have kept me from being able to, to – yeah, it was pretty minor, but I would yeah. I would have been hobbled uh, yeah. trying to get around Richmond, so we just decided not to go. And, and it probably turned out to be a good thing mm. because, you know, nothing really happened except that I think a lot actually did happen that uh, nobody wants to talk about, so – yeah. So, what, what was there anything that you? Because uh, I'm assuming you were watching it online and stuff. Is there anything you've sort of noticed about? Because give us a context of what this state rally was actually about. Because it seems to be kind of a fusing of a few things. Well, so the, the essence of the whole Virginia gun rally was, you know, protest against uh, the proposed gun control legislation. Uh, that is uh, going to be uh, presented to the Virginia legislature in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. 
Um, mind you, this is is pretty uh, uh, mainstream, middle down down the middle of the road gun control legislation. The the main component of it is that it would prevent you from buying what more than one gun a month. Um, <laughs> a month, wow. <laughs> a month, yeah. And uh, this is apparently tyranny to the uh, to the people who believe that the First Amendment prohibits any kind of regulation mm. of weaponry whatsoever, which mm. of course it doesn't. Mm. I should I'm sorry, the Second Amendment. And uh, yeah, and so you know they all believe they all I mean what they claim they're doing, you know, is is defending the Constitution and defending the Second Amendment. But uh, the the unfortunate reality is that what what they're really doing is just uh, um, is engaging in sedition because they they go from well if they're going to pass this then we're going to go to civil war yeah <clears throat> I mean that's I mean one of the things that that's been really disingenuous in much of the mainstream media coverage of this is that. Uh, you know, people like, uh, you know, I heard it on NPR yesterday. Oh, well, we're not really sure what the nature of the threat was that that uh, Governor Northam declared a state of emergency for this rally. Well, it, it was really very clear what the <laughs> what the threat was. These people had been on social media for two months arguing that they are claiming that they were going to be coming with their guns and were going a lot of them were talking about invade uh, you know uh, storming the capital with mm. their guns mm. uh, a lot of them were talking about shooting people up uh, there is talk there is a lot of chatter about oh good sniper positions that you could take Crikey. in Richmond yeah uh, and and, you know, some very violent rhetoric that was going on around it. And uh, believe me, officials had very good reason to be concerned because we had, it was very similar to the rhetoric that we saw prior to Charlottesville. Yeah. And uh, and on top of it, it was being supported by, um, <clears throat> you know, these people who have a lot of weapons, you know, and particularly the, the Oath Keepers and a lot of these gun rights groups. So the militia types. Yeah. So what is the relationship with the far right this sort of Second Amendment activism, if that's the best way to put it? Well, it's for the Patriot Militia Movement, uh, guns are the issue. Mm. Uh, it's the thing that they really um, are on about more than any others. Of course, they bleed over into everything else, uh, including, you know, education and and uh, immigration and so on and so forth. Uh, but their core issue, the one uh, about which they uh, really start brandishing their weapons and rattling their sabers mm. is, is gun control. And uh, these are folks who literally believe that the Second Amendment gives them the right to own any kind of weapon at all. I, I, I mean, I've gone to rallies where where these guys will sit up and say, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I the Second Amendment gives me the right to have a tank if I want one, or, or a missile launcher. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or, and, and yeah, if you ask them to go far enough, they'll even say that, yeah, they have the right to own a nuclear bomb. <laughs> You know, a bit excessive um, for duck hunting, isn't it? <laughs> because it's uh, any kind of arms. Is yeah, what's, uh, in the listed in the Second Amendment. So, uh, yeah. and they believe stuff, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah, no, it is mad. And you were saying as well, like, um, remember we've spoken in the past about um, some of these sort of gun rallies are places where far right sort of. Um, uh, not leaflets, it's a bit dated, isn't it? But far-right information is sort of spread and ideas are spread and people kind of use it as a an excuse to spread their message. Yes. Well, so in a lot the dynamic that was going on yesterday in Richmond mm. involves uh, a dynamic simil very similar to what uh, surrounded the uh, Bundy standoffs both in Nevada and mm. Oregon mm. Uh, in 2014 and 2016. Mm. Because uh, those people um, 
were essentially they call themselves constitutionalists and they argue the same thing. Among the things that they argue is this idea that the federal government doesn't have the uh, is actually very limited in its uh, power. Mm. That the highest law of the land is the local sheriff. Oh yes. <laughs> federal government, in their view, doesn't even have the right to own public land, uh, which was part of the argument around the whole Malheur National Wildlife standoff in 2016. Uh, but it also was, and so a lot of the people who um, promote this are very close to the Oath Keepers and the Patriot Militia Movement because the, the constitutionalist ideas are uh, come straight out of the out of that same movement mm. and and in fact are this sort of the core beliefs of the patriot militia movement these constitutionalist ideas and, and let's be clear constitutionalist uh, interpretations of the constitution mm. are utterly bogus uh, they've never been endorsed by any court anywhere in america and the frightening thing about it is, is that they are actually spreading to law enforcement officers uh, all across the landscape, particularly county sheriffs. There's an organization called uh, Constitutionalist, or I'm sorry, the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association yeah. that is has been doing this since uh, the early 2000s and is run by a guy named Richard Mack, who I covered back in 1994 when he was promoting militias as a uh, tactic for people to uh, stand up against uh, attempts to uh, regulate their guns. Mm. And uh, Mac has been selling this idea. He's very close to the Bundys. He operates very closely with, with Stuart Rhodes of the Oath Keepers. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and so you had, you know, five days before the rally, you had Stuart Rhodes going on a, a radio program and telling people that, that uh, this was going to be something that – that they were going to be spreading out across Virginia. Mm. So part of what's been happening in Virginia is that these counties, in anticipation of the gun control legislation, have been passing uh, these ordinances declaring themselves Second Amendment sec sanctuaries. Mm. In, and in other words, and the sheriffs of those counties are saying, we won't enforce any laws that are passed by Richmond that we believe are unconstitutional, and um, and all of the, and the county commissioners and the, and the people who are running these counties are claiming that uh, these laws will be null and void in their counties, mm. and so and, and that was a lot of the people who uh, who showed up in Richmond yesterday were uh, people from these rural Virginia counties who. Uh, are objecting to the the uh, gun control legislation, and they're doing it this way. Mm. And in fact, there were a lot of law enforcement officers, including a ton of these sheriffs, uh, who all lined up uh, with a big banner saying, "We support the Second Amendment." Uh, there and on, on the steps of the Capitol in Richmond, and um, so. I think even though it was very peaceful yesterday, uh, uh, mainly because anti-fascists stayed away and there weren't any opportunities for conflict, mm. even though that was the case, there was a lot of, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't think it's over by any means no. in Virginia. And I think there's going to be, uh, I, I do think that there are going to be some armed standoffs that occur when the state attempts to uh, enforce these regulations. When when are those regulations going into effect? Well, not until after uh, they actually the laws actually pass, and they haven't yet been approved by the legislature and signed by the governor. So it'll be sometime after those dates that mm. that happens. Mm. Mm. That's quite quite disturbing. Really. It's kind of becoming a bit of mob rule, really, because they could start uh, harassing people who've got to vote on that. Yeah, and they have. I mean, some of these uh, militiamen have been uh, doing some really uh, engaging in some very, very ugly rhetoric. 
uh, around this. Uh, one of the militiamen who was there yesterday, um, a guy named uh, Schof. Let's, let me see if I can read to you. Uh, yes, Joshua Schof, who goes, uh, who operates uh, under the pseudonym Ace Baker, um, has 540,000 followers on Facebook. And he goes on and does these live streams uh, where he's been particularly uh, targeting a, a certain African-American Virginia legislator. Mm. Um, and here, here was a quote from him. You should be pulled out of office by the hair on your head, walked down the streets of the Capitol, walked up to the steps of a swinging rope that's placed around your neck because you, sir, are a tyrant and you're committing treason. And you would be a good example to set for the other elected officials who are doing the same thing. Now, this wow. is the kind of rhetoric that, you know, is cause for people to be concerned. And, of course, yesterday all we heard from these mm. guys is, uh, we'll see the the media is just biased against us. They just want to depict us as violent and ugly, and I we have no reason for doing so. Look how peaceful we are. I mean, that was a lot of the coverage that came out of the yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah, can we can we talk about what you guys were saying before the rally? <laughs> you know, because that was pretty violent. So what? what- so what's the mainstream media sort of reaction been to this event then? What What is the debate kind of going on at the moment? Well, I, I I don't know that there is a lot of debate. I think most of the mainstream media just kind of took it at face value that, oh, well, see, these guys didn't, weren't going to cause any harm and, uh, and it just kind of got blown out of proportion. I, I, seriously, I think that's going to be the, the narrative uh, that comes out of Richmond and, uh, uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it's a huge mistake because I don't, like I say, I, I think that uh, it was really Richmond was just the beginning. I mean, what, what, uh, what mm. Rhodes was talking about on his interview was, you know, how this was the opportunity for constitutionalists to begin uh, establishing the kind of uh, Christian nation that they want, the kind of Christian state that they want, uh, one in which the federal government has no power and all of the uh, all of the the uh, political power rests in the hands of local religious fanatics. So, yeah, 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 fun bunch indeed. This lot, <laughs> yes. Now, moving on from Virginia, there's been a, a rise um, in the last few months of kind of Nazi salutes going yes. on at public events. Um, and also there's been a, a rise in the use of like the OK symbol and racist sort of hijacking mainstream symbolism. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about this sort of stuff and, and why the far right sort of feel... Um, they can sort of hijack these symbols like the OK symbol. Well, this is part of, this has been part of the alt-right whole tactic from the very start is that they, um, they love to appropriate uh, symbols and symbology out of the mainstream and hijack it uh, for their own purposes. And this can range from, um, say their fetish about uh, the Crusades, the European Crusades. They, mm-hmm. um, you'll see all across the alt right that they use a lot of images uh, of of Christian crusaders, you know, white knights uh, riding horses. You'll even see Donald Trump as a Christian crusader, um, and um, and. and and they use the crusade um, symbology because in much the same for almost identically the same reasons that Anders Breivik, the Norwegian terrorist mm-hmm. who killed 77 people uh, did, uh, you know, in his manifesto because he saw himself as uh, starting a second crusade against the invasion of Islam in Europe and, um, claimed that he was part of a new group of Knights Templar and that 
they were going to be organizing uh, these acts of terror across Europe to, um, uh, you know, basically destroy the system. Uh, or to drive more appropriately to drive the the Muslims out, and this is this became extremely widespread uh, among uh, the the radical right and particularly the alt right. Uh, it was picked up by people ranging from uh, the Christchurch killer to mm-hmm. um, to all of these, you know, a lot of these guys who uh, uh, are committing uh, mass murders. Uh, the the El Paso killer also uh, referenced it. So we're um, we're really uh, it, it's very common for these guys to hijack uh, these these things right out of the mainstream. And of course, the the best known one is the OK symbol. Uh, the which is just otherwise an innocuous, um, you know, flash of the hand. You know, usually, I mean, hell, I used to use it all the time too. It's like, hey, everything's a <laughs> okay, you know. Uh, it's <laughs> quite harmless, but now these guys use it as a signal to each other that because when you make the okay symbol, you also have three fingers sticking up, and those three fingers become a W in their world and oh so okay okay white yeah, yeah power is what you're is yeah. what you're actually signal and the the other interesting thing as well is then when people in the press pick up on this they cry snowflake these people and say oh you, you know we're just doing the okay yeah. symbol uh, or or yeah they're just saying oh you're just that's right, and it has built-in yeah. plausible deniability, which is what they're actually weaponizing. Mm-hmm. They're weaponizing plausible deniability as a way of spreading their their ideology. Because yeah, they anybody who says, "Oh, oh you know, you know, you're flashing the OK sign," are you a white nationalist? And they're saying, "Oh, you're just, you're just uh, being triggered. You're just another triggered liberal," you know. And, but of course, mm-hmm. it's, it's really cynical. And it's a cynical manipulation, but these guys are are nothing if not cynical manipulators. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing as well is just the the actual Nazi salute seems to be becoming so popular, and you just think, are people just? I mean, especially with younger people, are they just like completely unaware of the history of that? And because I, I can't, like, with the is it the school in Wisconsin? I mean, are every single is every single person in that photograph actually a white supremacist or some of them just going along with it and unaware? It's weird. Yeah, kind of both, uh, a mix. Uh, mm, mm. I mean, it's not important to understand that the, a lot of the appeal of the alt right, I mean, the alt rights. Uh, recruitment demographic is young white men between the ages of 13 and 30. Uh, that's that they they say that they explicitly aim at trying to recruit people from uh, from that demographic because those are the ones that are going to be most likely to join. And especially mm. considering the kinds of appeals that they make, which are all about how. Oh, white men are being uh, persecuted by the multiculturalists and and uh, so on and so forth, and feminists and, and don't you hate those? And then, of course, this is where the misogyny comes in, also, right? The, the, mm-hmm. We hate the feminists because they're trying to destroy white male culture. Um, and so the yeah the uh, the young and it, some of it is just understanding the psychology of teenage boys they love transgressive humor and this is about as transgressive as as it gets especially it becomes transgressive especially if you don't actually understand i mean it's kind of it becomes fun a fun sort of transgression if you don't actually understand the history that we're talking about and unfortunately a lot of young people are not getting the necessary historical knowledge about what it was was that the Nazis did. And it's also the anti-Semitic uh, theories and claims that that, that these were, um, you know, that, uh, that the Holocaust was a hoax and that sort of thing. 
uh, are also become very widespread because as soon as anybody does actually bring up the history, then a lot of these uh, young twits will immediately go, oh, that's just a hoax, yeah, the hollow hoax, and those numbers are, are a hoax, and so on and so forth. Yeah, well, this is the worrying thing, and I mean, in a way, this segues into also to have a quick chat about sort of social media and extremism. Because one of the things, like on things like YouTube, the algorithms—if you let's say you Googled um, the Holocaust—because of the way algorithms work, the more popular content gets pushed up, and so if the conspiracy theory content's the popular content, that ends up going up higher than um, than factual content, and right. it, and it's. Um, and um, I mean, I know you've been looking at sort of the way social media or well, social media companies are trying to tackle extremism. And I know you had an experience with Twitter last year. Right. What are your kind of thoughts, uh, observations, and experiences with these social with these social media companies and what they're doing? I know different platforms are doing different things at the moment about this. Well, my experience, you know, with Twitter was that Twitter banned me for running pictures of from my book cover or running images from the cover of my book, uh, which include, you know, these little stars with clan hoods on them. Um, and, uh, we had to go through about two weeks of negotiation before we managed to work that out. Um, uh, I, and Twitter honestly is actually more responsive to these issues than Facebook. Uh, Twitter, Twitter at least uh, is trying to, to figure it out. Uh, it actually because they tried to solve it with algorithms uh, by using algorithms to detect this stuff and to to ban people. And so what was happening was, you know, journalists who cover this stuff were getting banned by their algorithm for stupid reasons and then they'd have to wait to get reinstated after making an appeal. Um, and, and so they, they've been working on it. At least they've made a good faith effort as far as I could tell to, to try to rectify it. But it's, it's a very complex problem that actually is going to entail a fair amount of hiring on their part to deal with it adequately. Uh, Facebook, on the other hand, uh, simply, you know, they, they have uh, banned some of the most obvious haters and, uh, and conspiracy theorists. However, um, you can still have, but it's reached its limit. And now we have guys like uh, white nationalists, uh, Nicholas Fuentes, who is kind of leading the what they call the Groiper War. Well, what's that one? Well, the Groiper Groiper is an adaptation of Pepe the Frog, which is yet another oh, okay. uh, uh, yeah. mainstream symbol that got hijacked by the alt right. And uh, so now Groiper is a sort of version of Pepe with uh, that includes you know clown uh, uh, hair and that sort of thing, and it's an adaptation. But what they're really doing is uh, you know uh, is yeah it's still the same thing. It's still using this uh, cartoon irony to both recruit young white men and to to trigger the liberals, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the uh, yeah, and, and there was uh, so the Facebook is sort of back and forth, but uh, I've found that they are uh, the least responsive to actually confronting and dealing with these problems. So uh, to go back a little bit to what to to mm. these young men that were using the. Um, Nazi salute, and notably Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I just did a post this weekend uh, writing about how these guys uh, a year later. I mean, basically, the this was in Baraboo, Wisconsin, uh, and you all remember the the photo of those guys all standing out. It was the jun entire junior class of of boys at this high school standing on the steps of the of the school giving the Hitler salute. And uh, it was, and, and interestingly, afterwards, even though when the story about it erupted, 
erupted across uh, the pages of newspapers around America. Uh, the local school district was uh, very, pretty defiant and um, just said, well, we can't really discern what these young men's intent was. They may have just been joking and so on and so forth. And um, we're not going to punish. We're, we're just not going to punish these guys because uh, we're uh, – we don't think it was obvious, uh, uh, clear what, what the problem was. And so the result of all that coddling was that in the past years since then is that the, the school has just become a cesspool of open racism. Uh, and this, we know this now because a, a young black woman who was attending the school was just inundated with threats, bullying, violence, sexual assault, people shoving her in the hallways, having Confederate flags shoved in her face, being called the N-word, threatened, uh, threatening notes left in her locker. So uh, at one point, one student even asked this black woman, or, or actually asked another kid in, right in her presence, is it a hate crime if you slap a black girl? And, you know, this is what happens when you, you give these kids a green light. It just that school has now become just a cesspool of open racism. And uh, and yeah, <laughs> interestingly, the school district is still in complete denial about that, that this is what's happened. So, um, you know, this is how it spreads. And it's it's a really a problem. Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a DryCleanerCast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Is it an exaggeration to say right-wing terrorism is growing? No, not at all. Uh, we're... Um, adding a database or putting together a database that's, uh, you know, I did a database uh, project for domestic terrorism between 2008 and 17 that was published mm. by um, Reveal News in, in June of 2017. And we are now in the process of updating that database. And it's very clear that the uh, trend has accelerated in the last two years when we look at the numbers. Yeah. Uh, not not significantly accelerated, except a couple of things that have happened. Um, there has been uh, a significant uh, decline in, in uh, left-wing uh, terrorism, as it were, which is already a pretty small uh, portion of the uh, terrorism database anyway and yeah and yeah it, it, and what's happening on the uh, right wing side is that the lethality of their acts is increasing significantly because the weaponry that they're using now is so much more powerful and this includes everything from um you know, El Paso to uh, Pittsburgh to um, all of these other incidents that have happened in between in which uh, right-wing domestic terrorists have uh, gone on, on slaughtering rampages. Yeah, yeah, no, it's terrible. In the UK, the counter-terrorism police have claimed they foiled seven far-right-linked terror plots. And on top of that, a group called Hope Not Hate yes. have uh, helped foil a plot against uh, a right-wing plot to murder a British MP, Rosie Cooper. And they literally foiled that just last yes. year. So that, um, And in 2016, we had the Labour MP, Joe Cox, who was murdered by um, a far-right extremist who... Uh, apparently had mental health problems, um, but it's, it seems to be very much um, growing in the UK as well, and it's uh, and and across Europe. And I don't know if there's anything you've observed about what's going on with the far right in the UK and Europe. This may be the similar or different to America. Yes, uh, well, you know, we had the synagogue attack in uh, Halle, Germany. Uh, we've had uh, we had another uh, planned synagogue attack. Uh, up near Oslo, Norway, 
Um, and yes, uh, there have been a number of other incidents that uh, that make it clear that uh, uh, radical right domestic terrorism is really very much on the rise and uh, is also potentially very, very lethal. So uh, although the one in Oslo wasn't that lethal, it was a teenage boy who wanted to follow in the footsteps of the Christchurch killer. And um, he uh, only chose a synagogue instead of a mosque. And um, he decided, but he was knocked down by uh, uh, worshipers before he could actually shoot anybody. So, uh, mm. you know, he uh, one of the weird and rather frightening aspects of all this is its gamification. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with this aspect of it. No, no. Tell us a bit about gamification. So many, many uh, of the alt-right kids uh, are... Uh, come uh, coming to this ideology through video games. They're being recruited on video game platforms, mm. Mm. and this is why. And this is why Gamergate, uh, the whole Gamergate controversy, was uh, considered a very uh, central uh, origin point for the alt right generally. Yeah, and um, so I don't know if you happened to see any of the footage that uh, that horrifying footage from Christchurch. I avoided it personally, but yeah, yeah I I would like to, have, except except that I have to analyze mm. it, and um, in analyzing it, the the number one thing that stuck out to me was that it was like watching Doom. Yeah, it was like watching some. But I played Doom. It was it was almost like a first person shooter game, and 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 bizarrely enough, all around not just Christchurch, but also around some of these other events, because these guys are live streaming this stuff. Um, in many cases, um, what actually is happening is happening is that their uh, supporters and uh, fellow ideologues on the internet are now scoring uh, their murderous rampages. So the Christchurch killer probably has one of the highest scores of anyone uh, because uh, he, he murdered you know, 51 people mm-hmm. and uh, was very effective in creating you know, terror and was very effective in doing all these things. So he was, he got a really high score among the uh, alt writers who um, are fans of this stuff. Whereas uh, the, the guy in Poway, California, who attempted to do the same thing at a, at a similar, at a synagogue down in Poway, um, uh, but only managed to actually kill one person. He got a very low score. Yeah. My God. So this is really going to encourage people to basically try and commit bigger mass murders, isn't it? This Absolutely. is appalling. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's part of the culture that they, uh, that they see human life as just uh, another score on a video game. And this is part of the, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this is it, it, essentially the nature of the radical right, that it utterly dehumanizes, uh, other people uh, to the point that, yeah, you can, you can commit genocide and it's just uh, another dot on your map, you know? My God. It's, that's a, I said, what's, um, is there a, is there an international effort to try and kind of prevent this? It's that's, that's uh, cause it's obviously cause it's internet based. That's quite complicated to keep track of. Yes. Well, um, uh, about six months ago, um, uh, uh, Yacinda Ardern and Emmanuel Macron mm-hmm. uh, announced uh, there in Paris a an international effort to uh, try to force uh, the internet platforms to uh, start cutting this stuff out. And to not only that, uh, they're they want to get have countries pass laws that would force these internet platforms to become more responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I fully support that effort. So, um, interestingly, Donald Trump, of course, refused to attend 
and and has refused to participate in that campaign. Yeah, no great surprise there, sadly. But uh, but there we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, we're getting close to. Um, the hour, so I'll, I'll just um, I just want to take us a little bit into some of the um, recent anti-Semitic attacks that have gone on. So, so we've had a so in December there was a um, an anti-Semitic anti-Semitic attack against a Jewish market in New Jersey. Six people were killed, which and that included a police officer and two of the gunmen and three members of the public. Can you talk to us a little bit about what? about that attack and um, and what was different about that one from some of the other um, far-right attacks that have been going on against the Jewish community and other minorities? Sure. Well, that uh, what made that one actually rather weird was that the, uh, the attackers were African-American. And um, yeah, so, and it threw a lot of, People, you know, how can how can anti semites be black, or or how can white supremacists be black? And it, it, so, uh, and let's just be clear: what, what, of course, it actually represents is this larger vein of anti semitism bubbling up yeah. through all parts of society. But these guys were um, uh, uh, members of the Hebrew Israelite movement. Uh, which is this kind of bizarre world that that I've written about occasionally when I was with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, it's essentially these guys are essentially far right uh, uh, black activists mm. uh, that who who like I mean the the best known exponent of this worldview is uh, the Nation of Islam. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Louis Farrakhan and those folks, and they're often uh, described as being left wing, but there really is nothing left wing about them. Uh, they are really fundamentally very far right, and their anti semitism is um, uh, is really uh, unmistakable. Of course, uh, Farrakhan's anti semitism is well established. But these guys in the Hebrew-Israelite movement take this sort of black nationalism to its next logical or illogical step in that they they adopt essentially a black version of what we've known for many years as Christian identity. Christian identity was the underlying uh, belief system at the Aryan Nations, which I covered in the in the late seventies, um, and it's this idea that it's this actually belief system, a sort of religious movement, uh, arguing that white people are the true children of Israel, uh, that Jews are literally descended from Satan. Good grief! Yeah, and that. Uh, <laughs> That, that non-whites are soulless mud people who um, who uh, whose existence doesn't matter, <laughs> right? And that only the only white people actually matter in the eyes of God. Well, the, the Hebrew Israelite movement is, essentially adapts Christian identity for black people, and they argue that black people are the true children of Israel. And that all that Jews are satanic, and that all whites, as well as other non-black people, are essentially mud people. <laughs> so, so the people who uh, went on this attack in um, uh, in in uh, Jersey City were people who uh, believed the system and. In many cases, uh, there have been uh, inc- a number of incidents of violence associated with Black Hebrew Israelites. Usually, usually in the sort of uh, sense that they also adopt uh, what we call sovereign citizen ideology, you know, which are, argues that they are free from the rule of the government and uh, they can declare themselves free of the government by filing some papers. You know, that's so. <laughs> That's where these guys were coming from. 
One one random question comes to my head. Are their ideas becoming more popular with all the... There's a lot of de- important debate going on about racism with um, within white communities, things like that. Are, th- are these extremist views becoming more popular because of um, aspects of this debate, do you think? I don't know to what extent uh, they're becoming more popular um, in terms of, you know, the, the real numbers of... Um, of adherence that they have. I just know that, that these ideas are spreading uh, to more and more people, but um, I don't, I think that, you know, within their respective communities that they're necessarily uh, really gaining a foothold. I think it's just, everything's, uh, I think everything is just ratcheted up a notch. Yeah. And yeah. What I, what I do think is, is ratcheting up mostly is, uh, the violent rhetoric. People are becoming more violent and uh, are more inclined to, to not only speak violently but eventually act violently. Yeah, yeah, it is a growing concern because everybody just seems to want to resolve everything. I mean, like we see it in movies and things. Everything is just everybody wants to try and resolve everything with a firearm these days, and it's just uh, it's not healthy. It really isn't. It isn't healthy. No. No, and, and yeah, and it's a message that we get all the time, you know, that um, well, the violence uh, is the only solution to these problems, and uh, yeah, that's a pretty toxic message. Mm. Here's a, here's a <laughs> I feel like an old man asking this question, because um, I'm a child of the 80s, so I grew up a lot with action films and things like that, so I've, I've seen plenty of action movies where, you know, like Die Hard and... and worse um i I enjoy die hard by the way um it has this phenomena uh of the kind of the second amendment rights and guns and all that sort of stuff has that grown um more because of those types of movies and that generation who watched those movies do you think possibly um i i actually think that a lot of it has to do you know uh, I, I don't know that it's so much um, just action movies. I, I think it also extends to Marvel movies, to tell you the truth. And yeah. this is the the idea that this the whole we're really enamored of the myth of heroism mm. that mm. that it is the hero that is the exemplary hero who can make the difference in society and to whom we all look up to. And what it actually does is creates large numbers of people who are ambitious to become heroes, uh, which is fine, except that there's a lot of hero mythology is actually quite toxic, especially in the way that it encourages people to, uh, to create enemies because a, a hero in order to exist has to have an enemy has to have someone against whom he is uh, uh, striving to defeat. And, and so this actually creates a, a lot of enemy creation. This is, we actually concoct and devise whole enemies because we have to see ourselves as heroic. So for instance, there's been this huge, huge upswing in people claiming and arguing that uh, that anti-fascists are this huge um, uh, existential threat to democracy and and, and our well-being as, as a, an open society mm. when in fact they're really a very minor uh, component. And particularly the the any of them who the very few of them who are actually violent mm. are really quite tiny in number, mm. but there are some. Um, and more to the point, it's just a, a very tiny, almost um, insignificantly powerful. I mean, has almost no power whatsoever. Certainly not in in the political realm. Um, anti-fascists have no pull at all, yeah. and so the, the the idea that these guys are are some kind of uh, that anti-fascists are this huge existential threat is mostly a product of the need of first the need of people to imagine that uh, there are enemies on both sides because a lot of 
a lot of people, particularly centrists, if they see suddenly this rise in right-wing extremism, they go, the, the reflex position is, well, don't both sides do it? And so they go looking for violent people on the left side as being a cause of this. Well, trust me on this, folks. Anti-fascists do not cause fascism, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Believe me, this is not, that's not how the dynamic works. Fascists cause fascism, okay? Fascists recruit more fascists, and and they spread fascism. So that's that's your problem, and it's so uh, people who do the both sides do it thing just drive me straight up the goddamn wall. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that. Well, we're we're going to wrap up, but I have one probably last big question. Um, as it's January, and it's traditionally the month where we look ahead and wonder what the year ahead has in store for us, and I'm not looking for a crystal ball prediction. However, what are you kind of keeping an eye out for this year? Is there anything in particular? Yeah, well, actually, I'm looking for uh, a couple of things. One is that I expect there to be more... Uh, a lot more of uh, this Patriot-style uh, resistance to democratic rule, uh, as we are seeing in Richmond, uh, and I expect, but uh, though I mostly expect it to occur on a on a local level, like on county level, uh, but I expect some of that to become fairly violent. Uh, and secondly, I expect so. Remember, one of the things that happened around Richmond was that the FBI arrested a, a number of these characters who were planning violence. Uh, the neo-Nazi organization called The Base, uh, which which deals primarily in in actual terrorism, and and they're unapologetically about it, <laughs> about terrorism, uh, and. Uh, these guys, you know, the FBI did a good job of, of keying in on some of the violent actors who were probably planning to participate in Monday's event and arrested them before they could. So uh, I think that was a lot of the reason we didn't actually have any violence yesterday. Uh, but I expect a lot of these guys to continue acting now because it's not just the base. We also have Adam Voff and Division and we have these various other uh, neo-Nazi organizations that are really quite unapologetic about uh, planning to engage in violent terrorism. And uh, I expect to see them target politicians and I expect to see them target journalists. Yeah. Not good. Well, and that's that's who they talk, that's who they talk mm. about. They definitely talk in their chat rooms about. I mean, those are the two main uh, areas of people that they want to target. Mm. And uh, interestingly, it also that just happens to coincide with the kinds of people that uh, Donald Trump tar targets in his rhetoric we had an instance in the uk last year with um a popular opinion columnist called owen jones who's a um uh sort of left-wing yes. opinion columnist and um and he was attacked in a pub on a night out um and it's at the moment i think is at trial and they have uncovered connections to the far right with the perpetrators of that terrible attack yes yes i was seeing that uh, that story uh, yeah, Owen Jones is a classic case in the UK, and of course uh, in the US we had the MAGA bomber, the guy mm, who oh yes, yeah, I forgot about him. Took all of uh, all of the people who hated uh, or who Donald Trump hated, and he sent pipe bombs to them. Uh, some people call it stochastic terrorism. Mm. I call it scripted violence, mm. but it's all essentially the same thing, uh, where somebody is writing a script and telling people who to go attack, uh, attack, and so people go attack them. And uh, yeah, it's it's really an ugly part of our supposed system of free speech. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Do you think? Um, are there any positive things that you think might come out of this year? Hard to say. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I would love to say that uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, is likely to lose the election, and I do think he is likely to lose. But I also think that. If and when he does lose, uh, he's uh, there's likely to be a serious wave of domestic terrorism uh, that follows it. 
Um, and I don't think, and I think it's going to be because uh, Trump is going to claim that he was cheated, that the people who, that, uh, you know, the ones who, who dropped him out of, or who, who defeated him did so illegitimately. Mm, mm. And that it was, uh, you know, he, he's going to do what Donald Trump does. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are so utterly enamored of his cult of personality or so swept up in it that they will act out violently yes mm, mm. not good well david thank you so much for your time today now this question feels a bit inappropriate now we've talked about what we've talked about but where can people find out more about you and your work <laughs> so uh probably the best place to track my work is just my twitter account uh which is under my name david nywert that's N-E-I-W-E-R-T. Yeah. And, um, and of course, I uh, am employed by dailycoast.com. Yep. Yep. So you can read my work there, although I, you know, only write about twice a week. So, uh, you but you can subscribe to, to my RSS feed there mm. if you want to, or you can just read everybody else's work at Coast, too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, well, thank you so much for your time today. I do appreciate it. Thank you, David. It's absolutely my pleasure, Chris. Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a DryCleanerCast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Thanks for listening. This is Need to Know.